Welcome to What's the Point, a podcast pursuing truth at the crossroads of theology and life. I'm Hunter. I'm Brad. What's up, Brad? Oh, man. Busy day. <laughs> Take number two. Yeah. We just did this for like five minutes and looked over and we weren't recording. Well, um, I will say this. I was running trying to get here. I walk in. Everybody's got a cigar smoking it up. And I'm like, one time that I don't. Well, I've got a humidor full of cigars. Yeah, I'm not short on cigars, it's so right. it's all right, man. I can, yeah. I can pass this go around. Yeah. Well, we're uh, short on Scott today, but we are making that up. We've got two guys uh, sitting here with us as guests. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking with Dr. Josh Ferris about the particulars of the soul, uh, what it means to to have a soul. And then we've also got Cody Float with us. Cody is a is a friend of ours from Morning View Baptist Church. Should I call you Dr. Ferris, or can I just call you Josh? Either way. <laughs> you can call me Doctor of the Soul. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. I'm just going to call you Josh. Okay. All right. That'll work. Well, Josh, introduce yourself to our listeners. What's your background? What uh, <laughs> What do people need to know? Yeah, well, uh, I'm a theologian, I guess you'd say. I've been teaching for the last six or seven years at a variety of institutions. I finished my doctorate of theology and religious studies at the University of Bristol under Oliver Crisp, where I studied or focused on theological anthropology, the study of the human being, uh, and particularly the question of constitution. Uh, at the intersection of uh, the nature of the human and the origination of humans, so human origins. And uh, so uh, I I developed a case for the soul in general and the fact that we are ensouled beings and not just uh, bodily beings or physical beings, but we are, in fact, ensouled, and that is something that is distinct from our being bodily beings. So that was my, in, in a nutshell, that was my research at the University of Bristol. Since that time, I've, I've taught at uh, um, Fuller Seminary. I've taught at Houston Baptist University uh, for an extended period of time. And now I'm a visiting lecturer at uh, Cranmer Theological House as well. Uh, I'm a visiting lecturer at uh, St. Mundelein Seminary, which is a part of the University of St. Mary of the Lake up in Chicago. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. We can talk yeah. more. No, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to get into uh, the discussion that we're going to talk about. You know, basically what it means to be uh, ensouled, to, to to possess a soul, or to, to 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 have a soul. But before we do that, I just kind of want to jump in and and uh, just you know, because because honestly, we sitting around the table, we don't know you as well as, as some of the other guests that we've had on, and I just wanted to kind of throw a few random questions at you real quick. Sure. Right. I have no idea what these questions are. That is true. <laughs> he does not. This is just kind of going to be a, a mad minute. So this is not prepared. <laughs> yeah. All right. First, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? As he puffs his cigar. It's a good cigar, by the way. Maybe Oreos and uh, cream? Yeah. Yeah? Or are you looking for simple flavors? No, I'd listen, whatever. It's your answer, man. Oreos yeah. and cream? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Bluebells cookies and cream guy myself. Cookies and cream, that's what yeah. it is. That's it. All right. Brad, you got a favorite ice cream? Man, I'm a vanilla chocolate guy. I don't really. <laughs> All right. Next question. What is your favorite non-academic hobby? <laughs> favorite non-academic hobby? I assume that, you know... You probably read a lot, so I'm saying 
you know, with, that doesn't include anything uh, when you're trying to learn or study research. Is there time for anything else? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might say cigars, microbrew beer. Yeah, absolutely. That would be oh, wow. you a microbrew hobby. beer. Oh, huh? oh, good things. Well, I don't. I, I've tried oh, it a few times, yeah. but I like to drink it. Yeah. So I've. I have a palate for it. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's a good reformed thing to do. Yeah. Did, it the, did the couple you tried work out? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. any time that we can bring more things uh, to our palate and to just, just in our presence that we can be thankful for, I'm, <laughs> I'm for it. And I'm thankful for both, you know, good beer and good cigars. I agree. Amen. So, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Favorite book of the Bible and why? Favorite book of the Bible. That's tough. The Psalms, of course. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say the Psalms. It talks a lot about the soul. It does. It does, in mm. fact. Yeah, Absolutely. indeed. All right. In your opinion, what is the most mis misunderstood biblical doctrine of our of our day? Whew. The most misunderstood biblical doctrine. You should have prepared me for this one. Mm. I mean, this, this, so this is just a sort of knee-jerk reaction. I, I'd have to think about this. I'm not sure. Um, the most misunderstood. Well, um, you got to think we come from the Bible Belt where a lot of biblical doctrines are misunderstood. Mm, that's right. <laughs> or not taught at all. Yeah, true. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, I don't know about misunderstood, but... Um, Obviously, the, the, the doctrine of election, which is a popular one, right, mm -hmm. amongst Reformed uh, folk, uh, is certainly one that hasn't been thought through nearly as carefully as, as most people probably should think through it. Right. And uh, there's a variety of options on the table, even within the Reformed tradition, that maybe are uh, misunderstood or not uh, sufficiently appreciated. Right. But I don't know if that's the most misunderstood doctrine. But right. it's the first one that comes to mind. Well, that's what I was looking for. What was at the, the, on the tip of your tongue? Yeah. All right. One more easy one, then we'll jump into the right. soul. <laughs> What's one thing that you wish you could accomplish every single day for the rest of your life? Hmm. Cody, you got some good questions, too, coming up. One thing that I'd like to accomplish every single day in my life. Uh, the one thing that comes to mind is just the, uh, the reflection on um, individual theologians in church history. Mm. So every single day, imbibing and reflecting on individual theologians in church history in the Reformed uh, tradition, as well as in the the medieval tradition. Okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe as part of my devotional. That sounds like a good podcast topic right there. Yeah. 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 All right. Jumping into the soul. So what's the point? Why why should we ponder? Why should we think on the fact that we are beings that have a soul? There's lots of reasons. One is uh, the Bible teaches it. Mm. Two is, the church has believed it throughout most of church history. Uh, three, uh, well, we should care about what it means to be human in general. Mm -hmm. Who are we? 
what is it that makes us who we are as human beings? What is it that makes us who we are as individual human beings? Uh, what is it that composes us? Uh, those kinds of questions touch on every other aspect of what it means to be human. And it has something to say, I would suggest, uh, to uh, the question of why we're here and uh, what our purpose is and uh, why we should care at all. So uh, we should care about the soul for those reasons. Right. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> what are some scriptures that tell us, you know, what it is to have a soul? Like, where, where, When you started your research and, and you, you started, like you said, you have your doctorate is in... Uh, theology, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's with an emphasis on anthropology mm -hmm. and philosophy, right? That's right. So what was it that led you to, to study and, and, and to really latch on a desire to, to think about us being ensouled beings? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, during my time at uh, Missouri Baptist University where I studied in my undergrad, uh, I began thinking about these questions uh, both from a, a philosophical and theological vantage point and moving into seminary at uh, the Southern Baptist Seminary, I, I had a, an interest in, in uh, well, what are we as human beings? I, I was first sort of really introduced to uh, some of the complexity of, of the discussion in scriptural data from John Cooper in his book, The Soul and Body and Life Everlasting. Mm -hmm. And in that book, he makes a case that in fact, we are ensouled beings, uh, and the biblical data seems to uh, not only suggest this, but it seems to teach it, uh, or it seems to require that we are soul beings, particularly because of uh, the scripture's teaching on the intermediate state. Uh, the intermediate state is this um, historical doctrine, and I would even argue a dogma, that is uh, the, the, the idea that as human beings, we will persist when we die physically. Right. So upon somatic death, or somatic is just the word for physical, upon physical death, we will exist. We will continue persisting. We won't just sort of stop existing. We won't um, cease to exist. Uh, we won't just sort of be snuffed out of existence, but we'll continue existing in this kind of intermediate state as we're awaiting the physical resurrection of the body. And uh, so that's been the common teaching of the church historic. And in fact, I think it's been um, an essential part of the dogmatic furniture of, of Christian theology. And it's taught in scripture. Yeah, that's that's you bring up an interesting point. Uh oh, here we go. We got our neighbors firing up his lawnmower. Don't worry, it won't be too loud. Um, that brings up an interesting point. Something that I think, and like again, we, we're in the Bible Belt, and a lot of what we're doing here is to bring the uh, stereotypical Bible Belt Christian to think about. Uh, these things that are that, that are obvi that obviously taught in Scripture, but not taught in the pulpit, like Cody mentioned. And one of those being is you know when we think of you know my grandmother dying and going to heaven, well the state that when she passes away and she enters eternity, that state like you said is an intermediate state. She will not spend eternity in that state. So heaven, as we have have had it taught in Sunday school classes. 
And, you know, as we think, if, we, if, if, if I die today, my body goes to the ground, my soul goes to heaven. It doesn't stay there. I'm awaiting a physical reality, a physical body, through a physical resurrection of my body, a reuniting and glorification, and a glorified earth, a glorified new heavens and new earth that's a physical place. I heard, uh, I want to say, I can't remember if it was John Piper or, or, or who, but they basically used the illustration that heaven, as, we, as it currently exists, is like a waiting room. And we're waiting for that that new uh, that new heavens and new earth, um, and have and the only way that we could exist in that eternal state, um, intermediate state, would be to have a soul. But now, <clears throat> what are some uh, what are some groups, maybe some unorthodox groups or cults that don't believe that we have a soul? I want to say that Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that we have a soul. And then what are what are the um, what are the implications of denying this truth, I guess? Yeah. So what's the point, right? Yeah, what's the what's point? What's the point? Uh, well, there there are lots of groups who deny this, and this, in fact, is becoming um, a rather uh, common attitude in our contemporary theological scene, where there are lots of groups, even uh, lots of evangelical groups, uh, who are uh, challenging it. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are, are one, I'm not, I'm not cataloging them as evangelicals, but they are one group who denies <laughs> right. the disembodied state where there's a soul that persists. But um, there are several other groups as well who uh, might affirm something like what they call soul sleep. But what they mean by soul sleep oftentimes is that the soul ceases to exist. So mm -hmm. the person ceases to exist altogether. Mm. There is nothing there. It just, it's just the, it's just the, uh, it's just that the soul is snuffed out of existence, and God has to sort of recreate the soul. And so that's one position, that there's this uh, ceasing of existence and recreation of existence, and then there's the intermediate state. Um, there's a common view amongst um, uh, a group uh, of annihilationists. Annihilationism is the, the view that, uh, in fact, we are, um, uh, that we will not exist eternally, and those who go to hell, for example, will not exist forever, but they will, at some point in time, uh, the, the fires of hell will extinguish their, their personal being. Um, and so many in that group uh, often do deny that we are souls and that there is a disembodied interim state. Some, some affirm it, some don't. Uh, so what's what's the point? Well, uh, I think one of the most important points, and and I would base this on Second Corinthians five one to ten, uh, as commonly read by many church fathers and uh, many important theologians throughout church history, including Thomas Aquinas in his commentaries, is uh, this idea that um, the disembodied state isn't simply uh, this sort of um, this sort of uh, pessimistic state of existence where we're awaiting the physical bodily resurrection, but in fact, it's, it's, it's the first step in the, uh, what theologians will call the eschatological hope of our existence. And the first stage in the eschatological hope is that we would be in the presence of God upon death. So why does that matter? Mm -hmm. Practically, I think it matters, uh, it matters quite a lot. 
when somebody is on their deathbed and you're trying to preach the gospel to them and you're trying to encourage them as they're awaiting their death, well, the disembodied state says that at least for the saints, for those who have had faith in Christ and are uh, in good standing with Christ, that they, in fact, will go into the presence of God immediately. Um, now, we could talk about uh, other various sort of uh, nuanced positions. Some would say that it, it will take a little bit of time. Some people believe in this sort of doctrine that um, uh, we have to work on our virtues a little bit more. But uh, many would say that we go into the presence of God immediately. And that's pretty encouraging. Mm -hmm. So think about that. If somebody's on their deathbed, you have one of two messages to, to give them. Look, you've been a faithful Christian. You love Christ. When you die, you're going to go and you're going to be in the presence of God. And you're going to be, uh, you're going to experience the fullness of, of God's being in and through the face of Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, so I think about the thief on the cross. That's just automatically what comes to my mind whenever you're talking about that because that's what Jesus told him, right, that today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah, so I that, agree. I, uh, I, yeah, okay. I would read it that way as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that's important rather than this other sort of message. Look, when you die, you yeah. have something to look forward to, and this is something to look forward to. Uh, it's not an immediate hope. Right, But you're going to be physically resurrected at some mm -hmm. time. So you're going to be in the grave for a while. You're not going to be doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to be existing for a while. Yeah. But nonetheless, you're going to be physically resurrected at some point in time in the future, whatever that means. Um, but with this, I can actually tell my grandmother, who passed away last year, I could tell her, look, you've been faithful. Mm. You're going to be with Christ right. immediately upon death. Mm. That's something to look forward to. Mm. So I think there's a real pastoral uh, 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 issue at stake um, with this doctrine. Mm -hmm. So there's something theologically yeah. important about yeah. this doctrine. Mm -hmm. So if you deny it, then you have something that's, you have a hope still. Mm -hmm. um, you have to wrestle with the rationality or coherence of, of that sort of idea that you actually stop existing and then you somehow come into existence again. Uh, but you don't have the immediate hope, and that's something important. Um, so I'm hoping it's true. I think it is true, and I think we have good reasons to think it's true. I agree. Cody, what, you want to add something? I don't have any additional thoughts. I really oh. appreciated what. Oh, Charles I thought said. you were. Mm -hmm. I thought you looked like you were chomping at the bit. Oh. To, no. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I haven't. I'll, I'll just be the first to admit. Uh, I really haven't heard much teaching on the soul. I think it's something that's taken for granted. You know, uh, I've never heard anybody deny. Well, I, my father's a Jehovah's Witness, so I am familiar that they that they would deny, and, and they're uh, annihilationists. Yeah. You know, so um, they believe that we do not exist, that we'll no longer exist after after after. Um, well, there will be a resurrection, but those that are condemned will just be annihilated. You know, yeah. there'll, there'll be no suffering in hell. Yeah. So I say, so how would you uh, argue, like, the importance of the soul in light of, really, the doctrine of who God is? So I've taught with a supposed annihilationist who argued that for his position in light of 
that would be loving for God to annihilate the souls of men and women in hell because it would be unloving to um, pour out his wrath upon them for eternity. So how would you kind of respond to that in light of who God is? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a great question. Uh, it's one I haven't thought about in a while. wasn't expecting that question, but it's a great question. So um, I think um, one of the lines that I would like, I would develop, and I haven't developed this in print. Uh, others, I think, have developed this in print. But um, one of the lines of reasoning that I think is important when responding to an annihilationist on, on the doctrine of God is that um, I think, in fact, it's, it's actually quite loving of God and quite... Uh, you, so you could go about this in a couple different ways. You could argue from the lovingness of God. Am I too close to yeah, the mic bit. here? You're okay. I'm not, I'm not supposed to eat the mic. No, you're... Okay. you're it's okay. Just whisper in his ear. Just whisper in the mic's ear. No, whisper. <laughs> no. Go ahead. Be gentle. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Uh, so, I, I think there's there are two important lines worth developing. One is from the justice of God, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's, uh, as you all are probably familiar, there's there's a long line of reflection on whether it's just or not. Uh, uh, to annihilate persons or to uh, to uh, sustain them in existence forever. Uh, so there's obviously classical lines of argument that suggest that because we sin against uh, an eternal God, we violate an eternal God, that um, that punishment, if it is going to be just, due punishment, should be uh, eternal punishment. Why? Because, well, God is an eternal God and you violated God, and that's uh, primarily what's at stake, is your violation of God in his nature. It's not merely just that we violated other persons in this life, right, in this temporal, Mm -hmm. finite life, but we violated an infinite, eternal being. And so uh, many would argue from the justice of God that sustaining personal beings in existence throughout all of eternity is necessary to meet the just demands that God has required of them. So that's one line of argument. Mm-hmm. I'm not committed to that. But the other line is uh, from the goodness or from the love of God. If God has created us as uh, uh, um, good uh, creatures originally, as uh, uh, creatures who have uh, life that he's granted, uh, um, uh, you might argue that for the sake of the dignity of the person, he sustains all individuals in existence throughout eternity, forever. And to snuff them out of existence, as it were, would be to undermine their, uh, their, uh, their, uh, their dignity as human beings uh, who are made in the image of God, mm-hmm. who, de- who deserve to exist forever, whether it be in a state of, of punishment or whether it be in a state of uh, experiencing life and blessing and redemption for the rest of eternity with God. Uh, so those are two lines of reasoning that I think are worth developing in response to the annihilationist. When it comes to soul versus spirit, because you hear, you know, we're, we're body, soul, and spirit. Um, is there a, uh, a difference? Is there a, are those two separate? Uh, should, we, should we look at the soul differently than the spirit? Uh, or, or what, what? Where do you land on that? Yeah. So there's a, 
There's a long history of uh, discussion on this as well. Most contemporary theologians don't have much of a place for the distinction between soul and spirit. Um, so there's this whole theological discussion with which you guys are uh, familiar with uh, between dichotomous and trichotomous, right? The dichotomous says yeah. that there's really two fundamental parts that can mm -hmm. comprise human beings. There's two parts that make up who we are as human beings, namely a soul and a body, uh, or a soul and a brain and body. Um, and then there's three parts, the trichotomist, who says that we are spirit, soul, and body composites of some sort. And um, certainly, um, we find this originally in Plato, and we have uh, some discussions in early Christian theology as well as medieval Christian theology for this sort of third, this sort of higher uh, part of the human being that uh, more immediately um, is connected to God. As some theologians would say that uh, the image of God is located primarily in the spirit, which is the sort of the higher um, a sort of platonic understanding, the higher mm -hmm. part of the mm -hmm. human being that has communion with God and can experience God um, in that way. Um, I'm with most contemporary theologians that, um, uh, not to say that there isn't some sort of higher um, experience of God that we can have uh, or that some people do have through like mystical experiences. So I don't want to reject that. Um, uh, but I just tend to think that um, the scriptures are far less clear on the distinction between spirit and soul. You do have some passages that make some sort of distinction between the spirit and soul. Um, but it seems like they're speaking sort of in uh, metaphorical language. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not being literal there. Um, uh, and that's not nearly as clear as this distinction between the soul or mind and mm -hmm. the body itself and the soul being this kind of entity that um, that is more closely connected to God, that uh, has rational capacity, uh, that has uh, the ability to make choices and um, is often associated with the Imago Dei itself, the image of God. So I'm with most contemporary philosophers and theologians that the soul and body, the sort of the dichotomous position is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I don't, I don't see any really robust or uh, overwhelming reasons to affirm a trichotomous position at the moment. I could be convinced otherwise. Right. Just something you said there brought up a question, and maybe, th maybe this is unrelated, but that trichotomous view um, where you know there's a third part of us that is has the potential for a higher experience with God, would that be leaning towards Gnosticism, a special knowledge uh, that only you know, like the first century Gnostic heretics were preaching? Am I right on that, Cody? I mean, in regards to just kind of emphasizing the immaterial, yeah, material. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong on what Gnosticism, the, 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 my definition of Gnosticism, like a, a higher, a special knowledge. But they, they, but they were more, uh, their issue was immaterial versus material. But yeah, what, so, so for Gnostics, the material was seen as bad. kind of degrading, mm -hmm. right? Um, evil in many cases, and so, which is, I think you see... John, the Apostle John, in his first letter, kind of combating that early forms of that. When yeah. even in his first couple of verses, saying that we touched the Messiah, 
right? He, yeah. he had a real physical body um, and why that's important. Um, so, yeah. That's okay. But would that does that lean towards the trichotomy or are those unrelated? Am I, am I off base? If I am, tell me. I mean, we're sitting on a screen in back porch in Eclectic, Alabama. Don't expect <laughs> me to have anything, a lot to add to this. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if there's uh, a direct connection. Um, I think you, you do have tendencies throughout church history uh, that, that could lean more toward Gnosticism, mm-hmm. this sort of this idea that salvation is primarily uh, noetic or intellectual. You certainly, uh, it's arguable that you have this amongst, um, this tendency amongst pla- more Platonized Christians. Um, but you could be a Gnostic just as easily if you are a dichotomist as well as trichotomist. Yeah, okay. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure if there's something unique about the trichotomist position maybe that would lend itself to that. Maybe. That would be an interesting discussion to have. What are, um, for, for our listeners, because uh, we're, we're coming up on, on our uh, our time limit here, for our listeners that would like to just dip their toe in the water of really considering what Scripture has to say about having a soul, what are some passages that they could read and meditate on and just be thankful? Be thankful that God has created us uh, with a soul so that we do have that hope of standing before Christ uh, at our death. Where would you point them to? Yeah, so uh, some of the more important passages, obviously 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10, which I've mentioned, and that touches on how we think about the end times or personal, what's called personal eschatology, what happens to us after we die in the afterlife. That would be an important passage. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, surprisingly, there's a lot of recent contemporary literature that suggests that or argues that we are not soul body dichotomous beings but that we are uh, holistic uh, and by that they mean monistic beings that we are solely or wholly material in nature and that's what the Hebrews thought well that's just mistaken I'm going to say that very provocatively. We'll probably have some some listeners who will want to challenge that there is some literature out there that uh, that, that, that doesn't hold what, uh, that view that I'm holding. But when we, look at, um, when we look at, in particular, Genesis 2, 7, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, as the church has commonly appropriated those passages, they've, they've appropriated them to, uh, to uh, yield or to presume uh, a soul-body dichotomy. Um, and there's a common uh, discussion about uh, two common terms in the Old Testament, ruach and nephesh. See, here I'm, I'm about to open up a whole, whole can of worms that we don't have time to discuss. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but there's a whole common, or there's a whole set of literature that suggests that uh, these terms merely point to human life in its holistic, bodily, earthy, physical reality alone. But uh, Richard Steiner, in his 2015 book, Disembodied Souls, argues to the contrary that in fact the Hebrew mind had a robust place for the soul and in fact souls that exist disembodied and um, so he argues quite persuasive he's a, he's a respected Old Testament scholar he argues persuasively that the Hebrew mind had this in place and this isn't as, as it is commonly objected this isn't 
a part of just the Greek mindset that just sort of took over the Christian world. But this is actually part of the Hebrew mindset. And one of the important passages is Ezekiel 13. Um, I think it's chapter 13. Ezekiel 13, you remember where, um, in Ezekiel 13 where the author talks about this, um, he's drawing on a, a common tradition of understanding about uh, uh, witches. And there was this idea in the ancient world that witches had this sort of power that uh, they, could, they could cast a spell on this sort of cloth and this cloth could catch the disembodied spirits. Check it. I'm serious. Yeah, do you remember mm-hmm. reading this? No, I'm, 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 I've got Ezekiel 13 pulled up. I won't, I'm just kind of scanning through to see. So it's there. And the word that's used is nephesh, and Richard Steiner argues that nephesh there not only should be interpreted to refer to a soul as such, but a soul that could potentially exist without its body. Uh, and so we can recall examples in the Old Testament when we think about uh, uh, the place of the dead in Sheol, right, right, where there seem to be these sorts of soul, spirit sort of beings where their, their bodies have died, but their mm-hmm. souls and spirits seem to be living and doing stuff. And we can, re- uh, obviously, we can point to the Saul and the, uh, the situation, the, the, the sort of the, the event with Saul and the Witch of Endor, mm-hmm. right? Recall that story? Right, yep. Where the, uh, Saul goes to the Witch of Endor. He wasn't supposed to. It was wrong, right? But um, Jehovah's Witnesses will sort of dismiss that passage. But what happens there is quite, um, quite obvious that they conjure up the soul of who? Samuel, Samuel, right? The witch conjures up the soul of Samuel, and they actually have conversations with Samuel. Samuel gets frustrated, like, why have you done this? Why have you called me up? But he's there, and he's engaging Mm -hmm. with Saul and rebuking Saul for doing so. Nonetheless, he's there, which suggests that he was still in existence. He was still Mm -hmm. persisting after his bodily death. Uh, His soul is there, and he existed disembodied. So um, those are a few passages, and I think there's a lot of other passages that we could point to to reflect on, uh, but those are some of the some important passages that come to mind immediately. Well, that's good stuff. Yeah. I just learned a lot. Yeah. Brad, I'm yeah. giving you the last word. No, man, I don't have anything. That was awesome. I enjoyed <laughs> that. Well, thank you so much for being with us, uh, Josh. Dr. Josh. Maybe My that's pleasure. what I'll go with. Dr. Soul. Dr. Josh. Doc, Doctor Are you going to go back to Sanctuary? <laughs> Are we going to do that again, round two? Absolutely. I'm going to bring the mics next time. Oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> Maybe that other guy will be there. Uh, <laughs> Which one? The the Reformed guy? The, the Calvinist? We were all Reformed guys. Uh, well, I guess the, we're all Reformed. No, were we all Reformed there? Yeah. You yeah. got Baptist. Are they Reformed? I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> burn. Ouch. Yeah, I have books for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope that you hung in with us and listened. Uh, This was a great episode uh, talking about the soul and the hope that this truth leads us to. Uh, As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We would appreciate all listens, likes, and shares. And of course, we still have that link that apparently <laughs> nobody has seemed to click on yet where you can financially support the podcast at you the bottom hear more of the show notes. Doctor right. of the Soul. If y'all knew Give us some money, man. So if, y'all knew what it, if y'all knew what it cost to bring this guy in. 
<laughs> I mean, he just drank one of my five uh, Reformation Brewery Cadence beers that I have to drive all the way to Woodstock, Georgia to get, but that's okay. Which I'm going to well drink another it. one, too. <laughs> yeah, it's well worth it. It's a good beer. It is. Yeah, it is. We didn't even go through our beers or cigars. I, I was smoking a Cohiba, uh, Connecticut. And uh, I had a Dos Equis. Look, okay. I was going simple, $6.80 from the local Piggly Wiggly. I feel you. There's a place for that. Yeah, it's good. I had a uh, Macanudo. I don't know what the particular cigar was. Uh, it was kind of a darker Criollo kind of vibe. And then drinking Sierra Nevada's Oktoberfest. I love Oktoberfest season. It's one of my favorite beers. Yeah, and it's almost time. for a mass-produced beer, Sierra Nevada is not bad. It is good. It is good. I haven't had their Oktoberfest. Yeah. Seems a little early to drink it, but... Uh, it is, but I saw it in the store, and I just got too excited <laughs> to turn God. it down. Brad's a legalist. He didn't bring it today. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you, last night I did have an Alec Bradley Tempest, which has become one of my favorites, so uh, that it means anything. Yeah, and, I'm the and, legalist now. And I just want to throw this out there. You know, we um, we enjoy ourselves on this podcast, and one of the things that we enjoy is we enjoy being thankful for the gifts that God has given us. And when you have a thankful heart towards um, cigars and beer and other things in the Christian liberty realm, uh, it's really hard to abuse. I know that in our culture today, a lot of things center around the abuse of substances and alcohol and you know whatever else but when your heart is thankful and overflowing with thanksgiving and you're able to enjoy a gift that god has given us to be enjoyed which scripture clearly teaches that we should enjoy these things um that's that's the right attitude and we're look we're not special we're just saying that uh it'd be a good thing to be thankful for something today. Amen. And we're thankful yeah. to sit out here on a cool day. Thank it goodness. is not. It's feeling ma- majest- majestic it, out it here. Is. Yeah. This breeze it doesn't is feel blowing. like Bama. It hasn't been. Yeah. It has been torture out here. Yeah. That's past right. month. Yeah. Now, I'm really thankful. I didn't get to mention my cigar, and I want to mention Oh, go it. ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. really thankful yeah. for this cigar. Yes. This is an Avo. Yes. You heard of Avo? Yeah. It's an Avo Elio 5, 30-year cigar. They're that, aged wow. 30 Those years. Are, uh, from Davidoff, I believe. Right? Yes. Yeah. 88. Yeah. I think it's their higher end. Mm, 88 yeah. to 2018. Did Good you pick cigar. that up? Did you pick that up the other night? No, I picked up another Avo, though. Okay. I really like Avo. I recommend I've, I've them. I've never had a cigar from them I haven't loved. They're great. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. They're really good. Uh, What's the price point on that 30-year cigar? Uh, this one's a little pricier. Uh, it's about $15. Oh, well, my Cahoot, my, this Cahiba was Cahuba. 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 This Cahiba is a $26 cigar, but there's a story behind it. Yeah, we we've won't told get into that. that. Listen to before. episode two or three, whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we will leave y'all with it. We'll talk to y'all next week on What's the Point. A child of wrath I walked Condemned in dark